Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We will be starting in verse 25. Luke chapter 10, 25. If you were to, oh, stop somebody on the street and say this is some kind of survey or this is some kind of poll, and you were to ask them, do you know the Good Samaritan? I would say 100% of the people you find would say yes. Then if you ask them to explain, they would say, oh, it's that big hospital in San Jose. Oh, it's that hospice organization in Hayward that there is more organizations, it seemed, called the Good Samaritan than any other single organization. If you take your uh, search engine on your computer and you just type in Good Samaritan and hit enter, you will get close to 35 million hits, that it is widely known and widely accepted as something, but if you ask people what the origin is, I think you will get varying answers for the origin of this name, the Good Samaritan, has been lost. Interestingly, the phrase or the words Good Samaritan don't exist anywhere in Scripture. It is a title that was put on originally first when the King James was published in the 1600s. They wanted to put titles on the stories to make them easier to remember and easier to understand. And somebody back then wrote The Good Samaritan above verse 25, and it has stuck ever since. And if you have a ESV or NIV or New King James or King James, you have that title right there in the middle of the page. Mine says the parable of the Good Samaritan, but it says something like the Good Samaritan. And so this idea of a story in Scripture being taken by society, and what is it wrought? What have we done with this title? Most of the people who use this title to describe their organization are some level of health care. There are 91 major hospitals across the United States all called Good Samaritan. There is a big one in San Jose that I used to drive by every day on the way to work before I was a pastor called Good Samaritan right there by the freeway. Franklin Graham has an organization he calls Samaritan's Purse a little bit of a twist on the Good Samaritan. There are Good Samaritan laws. Good Samaritan laws have been put into place so that if you're helping somebody and you happen to do something wrong, you can't be sued for helping somebody. And 13 states currently have that in force where you, have, you can help people with abandon because if you accidentally do something, they cannot sue you for helping them. There is a Good Samaritan Family Resource Center in Oakland, and it helps emergency homeless family needs, that if you 
are in a family and you have lost your dwelling, the Good Samaritan Family Resource Center can help you get into housing. In Georgia, no, Louisiana, there is a Good Samaritan Funeral Home. And I think they missed the point a little bit as to what the Good Samaritan did, but they still call themselves Good Samaritan Funeral Home. There is, uh, in Texas, there are many parachurch organizations called Good Samaritan Ministries, which help churches with food banks and with emergency medical care. Everybody knows of a Good Samaritan somewhere, and it's usually a building, it is usually a ministry. But if you say, where's the story from, they will have difficulty understanding where the story comes from or remembering. And it comes from Luke 10, 25. The phrase Good Samaritan is in our cultural lexicon. It is in our uh, statement of, of how to function. You can call somebody a Good Samaritan, and what Good Samaritan means in our culture is somebody who helps a stranger. If you open a dictionary and look up Good Samaritan, Good Samaritan is there because it is something we call somebody who is generous or helpful to a stranger or somebody that you do not know. And so in the view of the world, you can be a Hindu or a Buddhist or even an atheist and still earn the name or the moniker of a good Samaritan. I can look at anybody who's giving somebody some money on the sidewalk and say, well, that's a good Samaritan. And that is how our culture begins to believe that. And so, where did this story come from and why did Jesus tell the parable? The context of the parable starts in Luke 10, 25. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up. Now, a lawyer in Bible times would be a Bible scholar. They did not have copy machines back then. If you wanted a copy of Scripture, you would hire a lawyer to copy you a Bible. They were professional Bible copiers by hand. That was their job. In some translations and other passages, they're called scribes and lawyers because if you were a lawyer in the Jewish uh, view 2,000 years ago, you knew Scripture. And so if a Pharisee was coming to you to challenge your behavior, they would usually bring along a lawyer so that if you responded with some sort of Bible verse, the lawyer could say whether that was truly in the Bible or not. They had memorized many sections of the Old Testament, and the ones they did not memorize, they knew the, the flavor, the genre, the direction of Scripture. And so the lawyer is there to test Jesus. When you see the word test in the gospel, it means to prove wrong. The lawyer wanted to prove Jesus wrong. The lawyer, who knew the Bible very well, wanted to prove that Jesus did not know the Bible very well, wanted to prove that Jesus' movement 
was incorrect, that it was somehow based on his selfish ambition and not on the work of God. And so he feels he's going to trick Jesus by saying, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now that's a reasonable question. It is one of the questions that is asked and answered throughout Scripture. We want to live beyond this life. I do not want to live until 70 whatever, 80 whatever, pass away and my consciousness, my personality, me disappears. I want to, and the point of most religions, they will say you live a life a certain way here and when you die, then you will go to a reward or a punishment. I wish to go to a reward, and why we're doing this is because I want a reward, and I want you to have a reward. And so Jesus, not being tricked, because you can't trick Jesus, he said back to the lawyer, what is written in the law, how do you read it? How do you read it could also be said, how do you recite it? Because the answer that the lawyer gives is something that is said twice a day by every Jew back then and today. And so he answers and says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And that comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. This is called the Shema, S-H-E-M-A. It is a prayer. It is a statement that is said every morning and every evening by every believing Jew and has been for 3,500 years. Okay, this is just what they do. Every Jew, if you stop a Jew on the street today and say, what's the Shema? They will have this memorized because they say it so often. And so this is a summary. It is said other place in the Gospels that this phrase is a summary of the law and the prophets. If you do this, if you love the Lord, your God, every second of your life, with all your heart, means your heart is never turned away, with all your soul, your being, your personality, means you never do anything for yourself, everything you do is for God, and with all your might, all your activities, if you can, Every second of every day, do this perfectly. God will save you. God will declare you saved. The second part of this is he says, love your neighbor as yourself. This is another part of scripture. This is in Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vention or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And these two verses from Deuteronomy and Leviticus have become in the mind of the Jewish leaders the summary of the law. This is the impact of of my life, that if I can do this, then I'm pleasing God. If I can do this, God will like me more. The the Leviticus passage, if you look at it, 
does talk about the sons of your own people. So the understanding of Leviticus from even Jews today is it's other Jewish people, that my neighbor is a Jewish person if I am following this. So what does Jesus say after he did this? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. If you want to earn your salvation, just do these two verses. Now nobody, and Paul talks about this throughout the New Testament, it's talked about in the book of Hebrews, where we will have a stray thought. I will have a stray action. I will hit my thumb with a hammer and not in that moment live for God. I will live for the pain in my thumb. Okay? This is how humans are. It is impossible to earn salvation. But Jesus is saying his understanding of how to live is correct. Then the lawyer trying to justify himself. To justify himself means to prove right. The lawyer wanted to make sure that he had all the boxes checked and that he had everything in a row for this person named Jesus to declare him as saved. He said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus' response is the story of the Good Samaritan. The story of Good Samaritan is... Um, this is a, a cover from a children's book. You will get the Good Samaritan as children's books. You will get them in devotions. And the story is well known by anybody who has been in church for any particular time. You have the road between Jericho and Jerusalem. The road between Jericho and Jerusalem. Jericho was at a lower elevation Jerusalem was at a higher elevation, so there was a climb when going to Jerusalem. It wasn't, you know, mountain climbing, but you're going uphill, and you get to go downhill when you're going back to Jericho. In the time of Jesus, all the priests and Levites and temple workers all lived in Jericho. For whatever reason, whenever the Realtor was showing houses, if you were a Levite, if you were a temple worker, if you were a temple singer, if you were anything like that, they would encourage you to live with your like kind of, of employment in Jericho. So in the time of Jesus, it was known that if you went to Jericho and you said, are there any Levites here, everybody would raise their hand. If there any temple workers here, everybody would raise their hand. And so... People would regularly, because they worked in Jerusalem in the temple, they lived in Jericho. The road between Jericho and Jerusalem was well-traveled. They would usually travel in groups because it was, in many ways, a very dangerous road. It was a mountain road, and so there were caves and there were crags and there were places for people to hide, and if it wasn't patrolled if it wasn't looked at to see who was hiding there. It would be easy for people to, to rob you. And I think this is one reason Jesus used this road. I think he used it for two reasons. One, it is not far-fetched to say 
this person was robbed on this road. It was, oh yeah, I've heard of that before. People would understand that. And secondly, you're going to get priests and Levites walking by this person on this road. That is also believable. There were priests and Levites all the time on this road. So this person, and we do not know who they were. It doesn't matter who they were. They were going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves. They stole everything he had. They left him naked, and they left him half dead. Half dead means if I see him, and we don't know where in the road he was, but we assume it was a wider portion because people could walk by him, not over him. If a person is over there, and they're lying in the dirt, and they're bleeding clearly, blood is in the dirt, it's going to take effort for me to determine if they're still alive or not. It's going to take effort for me to go and see what's going on. And if I'm busy, if I know the Old Testament law, and if you've ever heard this sort of talking about this parable before, you've probably heard people give reasons for why the priest and the Levite did not go near that person. If you look in the Old Testament law, I'm a priest. As a priest, that means I do animal sacrifices for God. That means I gain forgiveness from God for you and for other people. The word priest means an intermediary between God and people. And that's the way it was in the Old Testament priesthood. They stood between a person and their sin and God. Now, if a priest touches a dead body, he's unclean for seven days. If a priest gets blood of a dead or sick person on them, they are unclean for 14 days. Unclean means can't live in Jericho, can't go to the temple, got to live outside the town, got to live outside Jerusalem until they look at you and see if you've gotten any diseases from this dead person. We do not know if that was his view. Some people have said, well, he's busy. He's, he's late for work at the temple, and therefore he cannot go. We, that's a possibility. That's a speculation. If we look at this, we understand that the priest knew the law. He knew what sin was. He knew what he was supposed to do to please God. And he knew his Old Testament enough to know that throughout the Old Testament, if you are in a difficult situation, if you are beat up, if you are oppressed, if you are kicked out of your house, if you are put in a bad way, if you are pushed against by bad people in any way, the Jewish people were supposed to come alongside and help. That is the basis of the law. If you're looking at loving God with your whole being, you love God by loving people. Okay, That is a teaching, that is a theme throughout Scripture. I help you, I love you, that shows my love toward God. And so the priest knew exactly what was required of him by the law. He knew what God wanted him to do. He knew the right thing to do, and he didn't do it. 
for whatever reason, for whatever excuse, for whatever, whatever, when he stands before Jesus, ultimately he can give all the excuses he wants. But Jesus' statement will be, you knew what was right. You knew the right thing. You knew righteousness, and you chose not to do it. The next person is a Levi. A Levi is a helper. A Levi is a person who works in the temple, may have been a singer, may have somebody who cleans up after the animal sacrifices. And the same way, the Levi knew the right thing to do. He knew what the scriptures said. He had been taught since he was a child. When he went through his bar mitzvah, he had to repeat what the scriptures say about this. He knew the right thing to do, and he did not do it. Jesus puts a spin on the story now, and there's a Samaritan. Samaritans, in the view of the Jewish people were non-persons. One commentator from way back when wrote that Samaritans had no soul. And so they were unsavable. They were, God had no interest in them. The Samaritan race came about when people way back in Joshua went into the land of Canaan and some people intermarried with the Canaanite women. Some people intermarried with the foreign women and had half-breed children. That also happened in Babylon, when they went to Babylon. And so when the Jews separated themselves out of purity, as it says in Nehemiah and Ezra, all of the people who were not purebred Jews had to go live over there. And only true, pure-blood Jews could live in Jerusalem. And that was the beginning. That was where the Samaritan race came from. They were not pure-blood Jews, but they had Jewish blood in them. It was understood by the people who are hearing this story that Samaritans do not know what is right. They do not know the law. They do not know what to do and therefore, whether they do it or not is inconsequential. But the Samaritan comes, uh, does medicine to the person. He puts on oil and wine, which was the best medicine you can get 2,000 years ago. Cleaned the wound, softened the wound, promoted healing, set him on his own beast, brought him to an inn. An inn back in those days was somebody who had a house who opened their house to renters who came in. And so they, it wasn't the Hilton, okay? It was a house. And so he goes to the owner of the house and gives him two denarii. Two denarii is two days' work. You get paid a denarii a day back in those days. And said, if you take care of him and if you have any more bills... I will come back and pay you. It does say uh, in verse 35, and the next day he took out two denarii. So the Samaritans spent the night with the injured man, uh, nursing him, uh, comforting him. We do not know how he helped him, but he spent all night with him. And the next day makes these arrangements. And then Jesus said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among favorite robbers? And the lawyer does not use the word Samaritan. The lawyer says the one who showed mercy. 
And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I think if this was a TV show, I think Jesus would have looked right at the camera and therefore right at you and says, go and do likewise. This is called an example parable. Jesus gives an example of bad behavior, the priest and the Levi, and gives an example of good behavior, and we are to emulate, we are to use that as an example. We are to live our lives in such a way that I can look at this, and I can look at you, and I can say, you're a good Samaritan. If we look at what he gave, he gave time. Okay. He lost at least a day off of his travels taking care of this person because he had to go back perhaps and check on him. That was more time. He gave uh, of trouble or he worked. He did stuff for this person. And so he's, it wasn't just a, I'll pray for you. It wasn't just a be warm and be filled, as it says in James, which is a prayer that some people do. It was, in fact, taking care of him and showing him mercy and loving that person as the Samaritan loved himself. If the Samaritan had been beaten up, he would have wanted somebody to treat him that way. And so in the same way, we need to be people who treat others as we treat ourselves. We need to love others as we love ourselves. We need to be able to look at our behavior through a day and say, am I a good Samaritan or am I an evil priest or a sinful Levite? Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this story. I just pray that we will be able to look at our own lives and see whether we are someone who is willing to give time, to give treasure, to give of ourselves when somebody is at need around us. Lord, we thank you for this and pray for the strength and knowledge to do this. I ask all this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.